We're on a mission today. Everyone's got water? I do. Perfect. Good. My drink goblins are ready. Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 68 of Trail Society, produced by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. And it is officially race season. You guys, I'm proclaiming it. Some of you would argue that it's never ended, but I think it's official. I think we are officially in into the 2024 race season and I am all sorts of jazzed about it. How are how are you guys feeling as like I don't know the results keep coming in from like race weekend after race weekend and people are traveling to races and I feel like I'm trying to track down my friends who are gone to random places to run and it's just mm-hmm. like it feels like we're finally actually in the thick of it. I'll start. I haven't actually raced yet. <laughs> nor, nor have I. I've not no, raced yet either, but I've yeah. I've been at races. I'm traveling yeah. to races at this point. Well, I've booked a whole bunch of travel to races, so it feels like I'm there. Uh, I still don't feel ready. I still, I don't know. I mean, Keely already raced, so that, I mean, and she's got some more coming up, but um, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't race my first race till May, and I don't feel like I'm ready yet, so uh, you've got know. time you've got yeah. time and time and time <laughs> yeah I still feel like I'm like kind of like I feel like Thailand just happened and then like it's always mm-hmm. an interesting mix of having personally for like training stuff here in the ice and snow it always takes me a little bit to get over the winter but I'm so psyched because lots of the athletes I coach are already racing so that's fun <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Keely and I are staring down the chucking up barrel right now just like oh goodness <laughs> it is like in three weeks I'm pretty sure <laughs> Keely, we're going to talk a little bit about your ripping off the Band-Aid of racing a little bit later. But yeah, you feeling like you're you're full on in the mix now? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think uh, to Hillary's point, it feels really it still feels pretty close to Thailand, maybe just because that was so freaking hard. But like it's only really been a little over like it's barely been two months. Right. So, yeah, I have to keep reminding myself of that. I think a couple of people like have recently brought up to my attention that like, Oh my God, like when's the last time you've raced? Like, welcome back. And I'm like, what? I raced two months ago, 112 miles through the jungle. Like, did you yeah. see my vision quest? <laughs> um, so yeah, but no, I feel like in it now, definitely like I'll talk about it later, but my first race back was like perfect rip off the bandaid kind of race. Like definitely didn't feel like I was ready to race either, but like had so much fun. So I feel really stoked. I feel like I fig- finally figured out my pre-wedding part of my season. So Nice. Um, that feels good. And, and it's, it's apparently somewhere where we're all three going to be. So it's going to be so fun. <gasps> Yay. Any guesses? I, I mean, I was going to say there's tons of hints. We've already said it, but yeah, it's official. <laughs> oh man. I'm just bursting at the seams with joy. If people are watching the YouTube, you know, I think it's race season because I finally got my hair cut for the first time in like seven months. And so the bangs are back people. That means that I am on the mic and uh, ready to go. I don't commentate without these puppies. They're great. I love it. Commentating bangs. Let's go. Yeah. They're, they're a necessary part of the uniform at this point. Um, We'd be remiss. We've got to give a shout out to, I mean, I think there are third loves in all of our life, probably, but that is our presenting <laughs> sponsor, the folks over at the feed. Um, I'm once again grappling with Stephen over waffles on a daily basis. But if you also want to try a whole slew of products, literally, I am at this point nutrition agnostic, uh, the feed being my only source of uh, my nutritional needs, which is fun because that means I really get to mix and match. And if you want to try that too, you can go over to www.thefeed.com slash 
Trail Society, and there you can get a $60 credit to use um, over the course of the year, $15 every quarter. What have you guys tried out recently on runs or rides? Oh, well, I recently tried this. Um, it's one of my favorite things, actually, because to if I'm not sure exactly what to try, I can kind of do like a variety pack. And there's been some new things coming out from spring that are a little bit like denser. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of put some of those like they're um they're with oatmeals, they're kind of a spin off of the the wolf pack. But yeah, Kelly big, Wolf's like, original like oatmeal. Yeah. It's like a 300 was, calorie oatmeal pack. It's delicious. Right. But these are a few different ones. So they have some fruity mm-hmm. flavors with the oatmeal in there. And then I kind of threw in some, you know, I guess like listening to a bunch of podcasts, reading reading some new things about, you know, carbs are king. So, you know, I've been trying, I threw in some 90 carb packets of gels in there nice. from decision, and I'm excited <laughs> to try them I mean I think I'm first going to try them on a bike first because I think it's a it's a it's a pretty big gut bomb but I do really already like the Martin um the what's it I think it's the 40 gram of carbs um mm. that they have that one's really yeah. good to try that running mm. so I'll see yeah. how I like it yeah all so, the hydro gels all the hydro gels are pretty similar from like a taste a taste and consistency perspective and I- I love the taste. I love it. Mm. Well, marshmallow jello shot. Keely, what about you? (laughs) Um, I, okay. So I have a funny story about the feed. The other day I was riding my bike with my friend, Rachel, and she was a guest on the pod last week, but anyways, we were talking and out of the blue, she just goes, I freaking love the feed. (laughs) She's she's like, I'm, but I need to go back on and use your guys code. I need some more food. And then I'm like, have you tried the waffles yet? She's like, no. And I'm like, (laughs) You got to try them. So she just sent me a picture of the Oreos cookies and cream waffles, and she's going to try those. And I'm so excited. Did you instruct her her on how to toast them properly? Yes. Yes, I did. Don't you worry. Um, Anyways, so obviously I love those. But this week there's actually like a deal on the Bonk Breaker bars. And I had never tried them before, but my dietitian slash who also has been on the podcast, Dr. Pritchett, loves them. I don't know why, but she like always orders them and tells me to order them as like a good protein bar or just like a good snack to have on the bike or running that's not a gel. And so uh, I got a bunch of those this week because the flavors actually are really good. There's like a peanut butter and jelly one um, nice. and they go down super easy. So if you guys are looking for a new bar that is like really versatile and also sits really well in the stomach, I highly recommend those. Nice. So again, yeah, you can go over to www.thefeed.com slash trail society. Keely, we've got a lot to cover today. Hillary got a lot to cover today, but you dropped in a, what we're calling the little baby news section. And it's not about actual babies. (laughs) It's just going to be a short little blip before we dive into some Black Canyon stuff. And actually our interview as well is going to be with second place uh, female finisher, Becca Wendell. And we can't wait to introduce her to you all. But before that, there's some stuff heating up in the WNBA that Keely (laughs) has to bring to our attention. Yeah. So as as an ex-basketball player, I feel like I track this a lot. And there's just a ton of hype around women's basketball right now through the NCAA and the WNBA. And um, Sabrina Inesco, she set a record for the most three-pointers made during a three-point contest like a month ago. And this was at the WNBA three-point contest. She shot from the WNBA line with the WNBA ball, obviously, because she plays in the WNBA. But anyway, she has the record now. And so after that, uh, Steph Curry and her decided to face off because Steph Curry is kind of like the G at three-pointers in the NBA. And so they set this three-point contest up for last Friday or Saturday. Um, and they were going to initially play 
you know, apples for apples. Like Sabrina was going to shoot from the WNBA line with the WNBA ball. He was going to shoot NBA with the NBA ball. Makes total sense. That's what they play. Last minute, she was like, nope, screw that. I'm going to shoot from the NBA line. And just like full on was like, no, I want this to look like legit and be like as even as it can be, obviously, um, given that she doesn't shoot from that three-point line as her normal three-pointer. And she ended up coming up a little bit short to Steph's final score. So she scored 26 three-pointers in that round. Steph scored 29. So he ultimately got the title between the two of them. But she tied the winner of the actual three-point contest, Damian Lillard, at his own game. So it was just so cool to watch because, like, the respect between her and Steph Curry is amazing. Like, he was so stoked for her and also looked terrified when she was really close to beating him. Um, (laughs) And it's just so cool that she, like, tied the actual winner of the three-point contest, like, who was in the men's league. And so just cool. She kind of just comes off that and basically says that, you know, if you can shoot, you can shoot. It doesn't matter, you know, who you are. And so I think it's just a really cool time for women's basketball, especially, like, little girls watching that. They're like, oh, my gosh, like, I can be that someday. That is really cool. That's super, super, super impressive. Yeah, it's it's uh, women's sports. We're in the up and up. I've actually I ordered a sweatshirt. It has not come yet. I'm a little bit scared that it may never come from together. Um, and they put out a line of sweatshirts and T-shirts that says everyone watches women's sports. And I'm like waiting with bated breath for my hoodie to get here with that like big right. and bold across the back of it. So um, when when I do get it, I'll uh, I'll send you guys a, a photo of it. But wear, wear it backwards on the podcast. I'll wear it backwards <laughs> on the podcast with the hood just kind of flapping around over here. Yeah, we'll we'll make it happen. Um, you also put in a, an interesting new paper called the mm-hmm. a recent article that came out called the knowledge of relative energy deficiency in sport, or also known as Reds or Red S. Um, among physiotherapists and physicians, um, including OB-GYNs, sport docs, ortho surgeons, et cetera. And I think that's actually really interesting because I think a lot of us have a beef with, I, I've got a lot of medical providers in my life. Keely's on her way to medical school. My husband's a doc. My parents are docs. Like I love, I love the doctors in my life, but we, I think have a beef a little bit with like the medical system when it comes to like being behind on some of these topics. So I'm really curious to know what it said and if I should be really upset about it. <laughs> I think your I think your frustration is warranted given this the data from this very specific study. Um, because in this study, almost 90% of practitioners were not aware of REDS. Um, and again, this is including OB-GYNs who study female physiology and sh- in my opinion should be aware of this disorder. Um, in sports docs and orthopedic surgeons. Um, and not only that, but almost half of the gynecologists would prescribe oral contraceptives when presented with symptoms of REDS. And so they're still, you know, thinking that the symptoms of REDS are cause for concern in the sense that this person needs to be put on oral contraceptive to elicit their period, right? To get a a period, which is a band-aid again. And it's not like we've talked about this last week, but oral contraceptives (laughs) are not been shown to actually improve bone health. Um, or like save your bone health when you're not having your period that just masks the issue. And so again, that's a kind of a no-no that hopefully we start to educate these practitioners on that this is maybe not the right answer for these symptoms. Um, And then I will say like to not be a negative person all the time, because I don't think I'm that negative. There was one um, little like star from this study where the sports docs, were the most likely to know what it is. So they were over 75% of the sports docs in this cohort knew what REDS was, which is awesome. Yeah. And that makes um, sense. But doesn't, yeah, exactly. It makes total sense. I think the thing that's most alarming to me is that 
it's great that sports docs know reds. However, when you're seeing your sports doc, you're most likely broken from reds, not like seeing them proactively because you're seeing them yearly for your annual physical. So I think that while it's great, sports docs know what reds is and they can potentially talk to someone who has a bone source injury or an injury about this. Um, the preventative measure would be to let the primary care physician know about reds so that they can see these athletes every year or every couple, six, six months or so, and actually talk to them about this and look out for those warning signs so that they don't get to the sports clinic because they have a stress fracture or they have an injury. So, um, yeah, I, st I still think a lot of work has to be done. So I think your frustration is, is warranted, Corinne. Well, that's scary too, because while obviously, you know, we're three female athletes. Um, we think about this a lot through that lens. Um, you know, that like, if they don't know that it happens in female athletes, they definitely are unaware that it happens in male athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is also just like very alarming, right. That like at a, a guy's annual checkup, they'd be like, Oh yeah. So you're injured a lot. And you like, you like have like no, like no libido and like, Oh yeah, it's probably like, maybe you run too much. I don't know. Like, it's just like, yeah, I feel like, yeah, we have to come up. We need to come a, a little bit further along than maybe you run too much. Maybe running's bad for your health and, and think of it more holistically than yeah. slapping band-aids on things. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Totally. This, yeah. This is why Keely's going to medical school. She's going to fix the system exactly from the inside right. out. <laughs> We're calling yep. it now. Those are my goals. Okay, we got to give a shout out to uh, some one one set of results before we dive into like the actual kind of extended meat and potatoes of this show, because um, it's just it's Black Canyon heavy. Although we know that you've probably already listened to a lot of recap shows, so we're gonna try to be a little bit different, a little bit contrary to that. But had to give a shout out to the folks that raced Terrawera over the weekend, specifically in the hundred k, because it's been the like kind of preeminent distance um, for a long time. There, Ruth Croft is a baddie um takes the win there i think that's her first 100k back in the day maybe she's a kiwi um so that makes sense um took the win i think finished fourth overall dan jones who we saw race a phenomenal run at western states this past year kind of came under our radars from that took the men's win and us's own boulder's own um i know that hilly runs with his partner amanda a bit um justin grunwald mm -hmm. took second there and it was really cool because it came off the back of him kind of talking publicly about dry January and just his history with drinking out like with probably like a functional degree of alcoholism um, and really like recognizing that his relationship with alcohol wasn't serving him or his athletics or his personal life. Um, and if you want to hear Justin talk about that, Dylan Bowman and the Free Trail podcast put out an interview with him um, just about a week ago. And it's it's delightful. I listened to it on my long run this weekend and I thought it was um, really great getting to hear kind of Justin's backstory heading into Terrawera. So I'd give it, I'd give it a shout. I'd give it a listen. Anything you want to add Hilly, about the, the Grunewald Basham household? <laughs> Just that I'm a fan. I actually thought of Amanda today on my run because I was like running in short sleeves and she like, she, it's like what a joke for it's 50 degrees and warmer and she's in a tank in like a sports bra. So I was like <laughs> running in my sports bra today, send like sending her a picture. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's currently 15 days in a row of solo parenting oh too, which is just I like know, brutal. I've been texting. She's like, so sorry. I fell asleep. <laughs> but, um, no, but then the other thing is I talked to Justin in, in, in person about kind of the whole journey with alcohol stuff and dry January. And yeah, it was really cool. His interview, his interview was awesome. So it was good to see like kind of the insider insider info and always a big fan of that household. Can't wait for those two girls to, to get running. 
yeah to realize what their parents are up to like yeah. just just they're they're adorable but i do know that they're a handful and the solo parenting that she does while justin's working in minnesota i think is man i don't i don't envy anyone having to having to put in treadmill miles super early while you sneak around nap times or kids being asleep um, i know a lot of the you listening actually do that kind of stuff solo parenting or not just because like that's the reality of having kids and continuing to pursue stuff so kudos to the parents out there who are getting it done speaking of parents we had a bunch of parents show up to Black Canyon, a little closer to home. Um, Aravipa, I think Jubilee is technically the race director of it now, with Jamil moving over to doing more and more of the live broadcast side of side of the things. Um, it was so cool. I was there in in the flesh with the microphone. Keely was there helping helping out. And I think where I want to start this, if you guys are okay with it, is I've been thinking a lot about Black Canyon, but mostly about the allocation of golden ticket races, which I think some of you might find interesting. Some of you might not be that into it. Um, but it feels kind of funny because historically we've had like race after race after race in the spring in the U.S. leading into Western states, you know, be it Bandera into Black Canyon, into Gorge, into Lake Sonoma, into Canyon's Endurance Run, et cetera. Like there's always been like, you know, a couple races in the spring building into Western states. And it dawned on me that Black Canyon is the first and last golden ticket or first and second to last golden ticket race of 2024 in that build up to Western States. And I'm wondering if you guys have noticed that that feels different as we build towards the big dance in June. I mean, I think it does because I, I think also the races that are now added to the qualifier list are so different than um, Bandera was back in, you know, last year when it was in January, like, I think they've added a lot more gnarly races and they're a lot earlier in the season. So it doesn't feel like it's like, a, oh, I'm building for Western States. Like this is all part of the You're plan. qualifying in like August of yeah. 2023 for running a race like, in June of 2024. Running through the Swiss Alps. And it's just like, that's so different than running like Bandera, which is like a hot, dusty course or Black Canyon, which is like a hot, dusty course or Canyons, which is on the course. Like those all feel like progressive towards States. Same with like Sonoma, even it's like, you know, a rolly California course, like in April before June. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is a very different vibe, at least in my opinion, because I think also, as I look at this list, like four out of the eight are very different kind of races compared to States. Like they're just not really comparable, I don't think, to what yeah. what what Western states. And so we can list those like CCC in August, Grindstone 100 kilometer in September, um, Nice Nice Cote d'Azur um, 100k in September, Havelina 100 mile in October, Doi Inthanon 100 mile Doesn't in December. <laughs> That's a rugged freaking race, um, except for the heat. That's the only aspect of it that makes sense. But it's a but it's a wet heat, Hilly. Well, wet I know, different. but still, like, I mean, maybe someone's like hot races. Here we go. Let's prepare. It's I totally need this. It's just vibe, like but... every other race is like sub fourteen hours, and then Doi Inthanon's like and go over thirty for this yeah. one. <laughs> Western states will take you half the time, and then Black Canyon hundred k <laughs> that just happened, and then Canyon's Endurance Run one hundred k that will happen at the end of April. So that is the current list for the tw for 2024. I believe they don't always stay the same, like because the international races have filled the shoes of what used to be the Ultra Trail World Tour spot allocations, because they do want international runners to come into it. Tarawera was a golden ticket race last year. UTMB was a golden ticket race last year, et cetera, different than this year. And I think in May, we will know what the races will be for 
2025 Western mm-hmm. state. So I'm curious to see what changes, right? What yeah. stays the same? What changes, right? Hoka is the title sponsor. It's the Hoka Golden Ticket. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that they will stay Hoka affiliated, um, which largely means that they'll probably stay UTMB affiliated as well. And so we'll kind of see what that looks like. But I'm really curious to know or see if that landscape changes at all between now and whenever they deem the next the watch will be like a july golden ticket race you'll be like cool you've got 11 <laughs> months to prepare for western states yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think it's just different it's like on one hand it's amazing that we're giving these opportunities to a lot of people internationally um but i think what's happening is that a lot of women in the states who normally would have you know four to five to six golden ticket races within their grasp to go attend are now flying to these other races right because mm-hmm. there's just not many opportunities anymore um so yeah it's just an interesting dynamic i'm i'm interested to see what goes through for 2025 also because i i could see it changing um but then again because of the affiliation with the hoka like with the brand and with utmb i also could see it not changing so yeah i'm really interested yeah, and I don't think they have to be UTMB races, obviously, but I think that because Hoka has been such a primary sponsor for them, that it's kind of the the horse the horse and wagon are hitched together, so to speak. Yeah. So we'll see kind of what that looks like. I mean, that's why like Black Canyon, right? They wanted a super competitive race, and also Black Canyon was a super golden ticket race with three yep, tickets with three. on the line, which I think was was cool. I think that that was a a good way to draw in both mm-hmm. some international competition and um, just make a super competitive race in February, which was literal bananas to watch unfold yeah it was so fun (laughs) right i think literal bananas tracks okay to to dive into this we'd be remiss to not talk about the fact that the race started two and a half hours late due to snow on um the roadway getting out to the start line i i was in bed luxuriating because i didn't have to go into the live broadcast until what i thought was going to be 10 a.m and i was like oh this is so chill i'm gonna like get up to give eric and joanna a hug and then i'm gonna go back to bed and then i'll go for a jog and then i'll go to the studio and then i like check my phone before i go down to give eric and joanna a hug and i've got a text from like the media crew that's like race has been delayed we by two hours, we're working to get the announcement out. And I like run, I like jump out of bed. I run down the stairs. I'm like, Eric, Joanna, stop. And then we like called Stephen Kirsch. I had texted Rachel, like <laughs> it was chaos, it felt like. And I'm wondering, Keely, since you were crewing for Rachel, what that felt like outside of my little Adidas Terex team house bubble. Uh, yeah, I think that Rachel and Ty handled it really well. Like Rachel talking to her during the race and also after the race, um, she seemed like pretty chill and she's like, I think just being really mentally flexible helped me a lot because I didn't feel stressed from that. Um, she just kind of viewed it as more time to go back to sleep and like readjust her plans a little bit. And so again, I think that paid off. I think you could have freaked out and been like, oh my God, I had my, my, my breakfast planned. I had my poop planned. I have all these things. Right. <laughs> and like, maybe they don't go as planned now. I'd be like bonus two pooping and a half time later. Yeah. And so I think like, yeah, she seemed, she seemed really calm throughout it, which is, which is awesome. Um, and I think, you know, speaks to going into a race feeling prepared. Cause like, if you're feeling like mentally prepared and like really tapered and have a lot of energy, then I feel like that mental flexibility that we talk about, is going to be a lot easier to roll with those punches than if you're coming in like full of stress already. And then something like this happens, then woof, stress cup's going to overflow. And then that's not going to be a very fun day. Yeah. Uh, Hillary, have you ever experienced a big, like, like race change up be it a delayed start or a course change last minute or something that like 
like through this like difference of adversity in where you like are either mentally ready to like roll with it or you're like, ooh, this is abrasive against my like cognition for the race. Cognitive <laughs> have, dissonance. Right. I actually haven't had like that because I know when you did TDS, like there was a huge course change. Like that didn't happen. Like And a delay that none of the Americans or Asians knew about, which was super right. fun. So you're just like, you know, on like on the start line in Cormier being like, yo, okay, what no do we one's do? here. This is weird. Right. Yeah. I've actually I have had, I have had for before before TDS actually, um, I had kind of done all of the the pre-race rigmarole that we needed to do. Um and basically someone, um, something happened with that there was a miscommunication or like a, a box that was checked, but the people at Cormier uh, said I didn't check it of where I had to like deliver a blood sample. So it was like the night before the race. And I guess the people had already, there was a miscommunication, they'd already left. And so I had to actually make a trip back to Chamonix the night before. Uh, the Just start. drive into the tunnel, yeah. an expensive tunnel, mistake. Which is, horrible and then i had to come back again the same day because obviously the race starts at cormier um to get this blood sample and then at the end of the day they were saying they were saying to me it's like actually you just could have done this there and i was like i know but you know you because you have to take that stuff seriously and i could have you know at first it's kind of like panicking but then at first it's, it's like okay well this is what i have to do this is what's going to go i'll just put my feet up in the car and uh, it worked out but it's it helps to have that like calm mindset and i remember even hearing some things from Hayden, he's like, yeah, like I just went back to sleep. I love running at nine. <laughs> it's like, I normally run at nine and it's like, hmm, <laughs> Ashley pulls a lot of weight around the house, doesn't she? <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like, man, you've got two little kids and you normally get to run and sleep in and run at 9.50 or 9.30. Like you're living a life of luxury, my friend. <laughs> Don't tell Amanda Basham that, you, that your life is that easy because I, I would crack I would. you down. She's texting her. She's like, I'm so tired. I have another week of this. I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. And then her nanny bails half the time. Come on. <laughs> nanny, if you listen to this, stop it. Show up for your girl. <laughs> cut, it, cut it out. <laughs> girl, your girl's going to lose it. Um, yeah, no, adversity sucks. But I, I do think there were people that were really thrown by it, thrown by the weather, not being hot, being cold, mm -hmm. by the course conditions, being being muddy thrown by, you know, having to change their nutrition, et cetera. Like it seemed like there was some frazzled mm -hmm. energy out there and you just, you end up burning matches unintentionally because you're just like, you're not willing to compromise or change mm -hmm. from your, from your initial race plan, which. Yeah. And you see that in the men's race, they all flew out the gate. Right. And like ran through that first section, which is way slower with all that mud way faster than they should have. And then most of them combusted. I called it. I said 40 yeah. men were going to be under course record pace at mile 12. And I'm pretty sure it was at least 40. Yeah. If not and, in more, that, so. and in that terrain with that mud, you just shouldn't have been even close. Yeah. I also want to reflect a little bit. There was a, there was a course change that that was actually really cool. Um, from like a spectator standpoint, because deep Canyon ranch is like sick. That's mm -hmm. where the finish line for the 60 K was. It was a cool atmosphere. There's a little bit of a river crossing getting through there on Saturday. That seemed a little bit chaotic for folks that were driving yeah. like rental Teslas, for example, <laughs> or um, Dodge chargers <laughs> or Dodge chargers, not <laughs> equipped for a river crossing. Um, I did not drive my rental car through it on Sunday cause it did not sound good to begin with. Um, I hitched a ride across that thing, even though it was way lower than it was on Saturday. But what that did mean too, is that historically crew can see you at Bumblebee at mile 19 at Black Canyon city, which is like mile 36 ish or so. And then, um, again at mile 51 this year with that change, there was no crew at Black Canyon city. So you saw your crew at mile 19 mile 31 and then mile 51. So there was like almost a 20 mile stretch 
where you weren't going to see crew and um, Keely from like the crewing side of things. And then from running it the year before, I'm wondering if you noticed like a difference as far as like how the, we, we were speculating ahead of the race, like that, that was going to like make or break people. And I'm wondering if you think it actually had any impact on the racers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely did, or at least in my mind it should have, because if you go into mile 31, like you're halfway, it feels like still pretty early on, but you're getting like a ball of energy potentially in your pacer. And so I think you're probably less likely to stay long with your crew and you're more likely to be like, let's just rally out of here. Right. Like let's go. And then you have 20 miles to just combust yourself. And so like, I think, yeah, it probably did combust some people because like you're getting to mile 31 thinking like, Oh, cool. Like, this is a lot, but it's actually not, you know, you still have that whole distance again to cover with, with like more climbing kind of climbing. Yeah. And so I think 37, I thought was better because you got hot too. I mean, it wasn't hot, but Mm -hmm. if it was hot, that would be, yeah. and I think when it's at mile 37, it's after like two, no, three pretty punchy climbs. So Mm -hmm. you're already like kind of depleted. You're kind of hot. People are kind of falling apart. And so I think that mile 37 aid station, you're more likely to stop at and be like, okay, we're doing some control measures here to like, make sure I feel okay. Whereas 31, so early on, you're still in the like mostly groovy state that you could just totally blow through it and then just find yourself totally gassed by mile 40 or 50. Mostly groovy. Yeah. But yeah, question for you guys. I'm going to be cool. Question for you both. And this is like, I'm totally of the mindset. Like if paces are allowed, awesome. I'm taking them. I'm having two pacers. I'm, I am, if they are allowed, I'm taking advantage of it. Right. Because it's like, why pass up that advantage? Yep. Curious question for you. Do you think in a race like black Canyon or Canyon hundred K where, you know, the back of the field, who's running into the dark, they have pacers. Cause there's like a safety perspective there because they've got a 20 hour cutoff, right. For golden ticket races or for the front part of the pack, say the race is prize money or not, or say the race is a golden ticket race or not. Like, do you think that we need or should have pacers at a race like this? Like, I just think it's interesting. Like, once again, if they're available, I'm taking them. But do we need them to be available? And how much would that change the race at the front end, like having that person or not? Because like, there definitely were more than a handful of people in the top five who had pacers at least for the final 10 miles, if not that, if not the like back 50 K of the course, hot takes, hot takes well, only. My first hot take is I've, and I've actually never run a race like with a pacer. I could use a pacer. So I don't know what it's like. It's um, so much fun is what it is. <laughs> but also sometimes I get in these moods where it's like my best running partners, like they just know me and they know that I can like, sometimes I'm a little bit curmudgeon I think Corinne knows this. And then I can they no. just know to be like, oh, Hilly just needs some company right now. She just like, if you ask her how she is, she's just going to start crying. So just give her a snack and like, let's keep going. But um, I don't know, but it's also been, I've been in races where you're, but then I haven't had a pacer, but I've had like camera crews with me, but they're not necessarily helping me. And then, you know, UTMB, there's just people around you all of the time. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I get it from a safety standpoint from like, you know, animals and like, you know, things like that. Like, um, I would have loved a pacer in uh, ultra trail Cape town and certain sections. And they now, and they now <laughs> allow pacers for a very right. specific mm-hmm. safety reason yes. during ultra trail and- Cape town for the hundred miler for that reason. Yeah. Right. So there are some sections where I was kind of like had an escort, like during some night sections, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it would be fun to try it, but I guess I, so I can't really answer honestly, since I haven't really 
been able to use one legally in races. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't view it as a do we need them, but as it, are they helping advance the field? So like total different take than, than totally help. in the sense that like track and field has pacers. There's a yeah, lot they of pacers. Have and, they have rabbits. They have rabbits. And so I think that if we think about this race on two different like tokens, one coin being potential, one coin being mm -hmm. safety. I think safety makes sense. Pacing people who take a little bit longer, great idea. Also pushing them to their potential, great idea. I think pacers in the front of the field can allow the front of the field to push themselves a little harder. And I think that is cool, especially as the sport is evolving, where it's now a lot more of a foot race than mm -hmm. like who combusts. It's like not many people combust anymore. So you got to have your stuff figured out. And so I think pacers could potentially just like make that that stage elevated and like really push people to a new level, which I think is kind of exciting. But um, do you but, think, but what happens then if people don't have the, like, they don't have the ability to help a friend come to pace? Like, so then it becomes a fairness question at the front of the field. Yeah, like that's fair. If, if the pacer isn't helping everyone, it's helping mm -hmm. you like, mm -hmm. and, and I don't know, like, I'd actually be curious to ask, ask Becca this, right. Like mm -hmm. just being like, yeah. which, which we can, but it's one of those things where it's like, um, and it's one of those things, often it's a personal choice. You don't want a pacer or yep. you don't, you don't feel like you need a pacer, but like mm -hmm. if, if there was, if you had endless resources and you could have one, that's a little bit different than mm -hmm. being like, yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, like Becca picked up her husband yeah. for the last 10 miles, yeah. but it was like, it's just a little bit different when it's mm -hmm. like, is it available to everyone or not? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we did want to make it something that we can acknowledge does make people run faster, then maybe we do have a way to like offer pacers who are like vetted to run a certain speed for someone if they want them. But I think like to your point, it's tough because I think some personalities and some people don't actually want a pacer and maybe like Courtney, even, Courtney has opted yeah, out of the, pacer. they might not push as yeah. well with a pacer. And I know some races where I've gotten a pacer, I'm like, actually, I probably would have been better off without a pacer. And so I think it's definitely like athlete specific, but I think, yeah, I think it can potentially increase the performance, but yeah. And then if that is the case, how do we make sure that's fair? That's a really valid, really valid question. But then also if it is an advantage and how do we measure that advantage? Because yeah, exactly. Then, yeah. Like, and, and then it's so personal. So it's always yeah, it's like yeah, last totally. episode. It depends, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and we know, and we know actually that most world records, for example, it's not, they're not actually running in like the flying V formation. It's not a right. biomechanical advantage. It's an RPE. It's a rate of perceived mm -hmm. exertion yeah. advantage that there's the psychological component of it is what becomes performance. Mm -hmm. enhancing yes. in races where they can't mule for you for example so mm -hmm. yeah many many philosophical questions left unanswered <laughs> and until then yeah, big question but yeah. a good question yeah until heck then yeah, i will friends. always take advantage 100 100 percent. okay well we'd be remiss to not actually tell you what happened at the race so we're just gonna we'll dive into like the like the blow by blow with with um our guest today becca Wendell, a little bit but we want to give a shout out our queen rachel drake taking the win, making MD, PhD students and Keely Henninger and <laughs> Tyler and baby Lou proud, making Portland proud. Um, Becca Wendell, uh, amazing human being that we're going to talk to today, took second. And then the incomparable ob Gyn physician, mom of two, Lauren Piretz, 40 years old, <laughs> did three procedures on Thursday before flying to Phoenix. Um, just a total baller. Didn't know she was in third until she finished. Didn't I know she got a golden ticket. Yeah, her video of getting the ticket is so cool. Oh, if you want to cry, go go look at that video on, on Arizona. Just phenomenally talented yeah. individuals. Men's side, Hayden Hawks put on a clinic. Um, 
we should we should probably mention Hans Troyer. He ended up finishing 10th, but like helped push the pace all day um, after winning Bandera. Super cool. Young, young 23, 24-year-old coming into the sport. Um, Hayden took the win two minutes under Anthony Castales' course record, which is silly. Just like what a talent. Happy to see him back racing after knee surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool story to follow on the way to Western States. Jupiter, um, a Mexican athlete. I think the first athlete from Latin America to get a golden ticket into mm-hmm. Western States. Yeah. Um, just phenomenally talented. Ran in like Adidas road super shoes. Um, don't know how he had any traction out there. Um, we asked him in the post-race interview, like, Hey, like you're really good. And we know that you've won like everything in Mexico. Like, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, like racing here versus racing there. And the translation was like, I am the champion of everything in Mexico. And we were like, yes, (laughs) yes, you are. So he, uh, I think Dylan recorded an interview with him with a translator recently. So curious to actually hear that interview. Um, Jupiter Herreras in second. And then, um, Chris Myers, young guy, SoCal guy, but recently moved to Boulder. Um, he's come up short on some golden ticket races last year. So cool to see him get that third ticket, like, and, and one, two, three, one, two, three on both sides needed the tickets and took them. So, um, also just excited to see that actually play out. So bravo hats off to, to you all. Absolutely insane running out there. <laughs> I'm so flabbergasted. So, so impressed. Um, Okay, Keely, before we get to our interview, we should at least talk a little bit about the fact that you ran a race after pacing Rachel Drake um, to the finish line and victory, uh, just missing your course record, actually, from the Black Canyon 100K from last year. Um, One thing I'm really curious about is you, like, jumped into this race after pacing, and it's also, like, it's your first race back since Doyen Phenom, which is very different. And while you will say that I haven't been away from racing for that long, it's also just like, it's a public race. It's out in front of people that, you know, it's out in front of the community. Like, can you tell us a little bit about like going in with whatever expectations you had and just like, I don't know. I think it's always hard to do that in a very public mm-hmm. manner when you're like not hundred percent certain on like what you're going to get on the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for a little bit, I, I started contemplating that and questioning before the race, like, well, why am I doing this if I'm not going to do super well, or I have no clue how it's going to go. Um, and I just kept coming back to the same answer. And for me, it was just to have fun and like race again, because to your point, Doyanthanon didn't really feel like a race. It felt like a suffer fest and it taught me a lot, but I was never like racing. I wasn't pushing enough to race. I just was trying to finish. And, and I know that I have some shorter races this season that require like a lot of racing and being tactical and being okay, running with people and chasing people and being chased by people. And so I kind of just wanted to rip the bandaid off because I knew I would be down there anyways. And I love these trails and I love this race. And so I was like, you know what? I think it's okay for someone who treats this as a profession to enter races that aren't their a race and that they're not in a form for, because, you know, track and field athletes who go to the Olympics do this all the time. Other athletes do this all the time. They're okay. Going into a race, knowing that it's not going to be their best potential. It's not going to be their best race. And I think that's a really good mental exercise for me because that's normally not what I let myself do. And I normally get so in my head that I'm like, no, I need to win everything. That's the only goal. Um, and that's not the case. And for this one, it was just to have fun and race. And it was so fun. Like 
I was struggling from the get-go, definitely did not replenish the glycogen I lost the night before from running for two hours and also stressing the whole time. Um, but you know, I think it was a really good learning lesson for me because I just kept telling myself like, no, what is the goal? Have fun and get to the finish, like feeling like you can push and chase down people. And so I just kept asking myself like, well, what do I have to do to do that? And the answer for the first like 10 miles was just keep eating gels <laughs> because I was balking so hard. Like I just felt so gassed from the get go. And so it was really fun. I just kept pushing through, like kept eating a ton. And then by like mile 20, 25, I was like, okay, you know what? I actually feel kind of normal finally. And so then I was able to just like turn on the jets a little bit and just be like, all right, well, who can I catch now? Because I've never been one to be able to like really rally in a race. And so I think that's a big weakness of mine as a runner. And so I think it was actually really good mental exercise to be like, all right, let's like go after it and see who you can catch and who you can hold off and who you can like pass in these last like 10 miles. Um, and it was really, really fun. And yeah, I that's think a big change from boxes. That's a big change from when I saw you at Bumblebee at mile 19.2, when you literally yelled at me, the first 10 miles were awful. Like, I just think that's a really cool reflection that you went from like, absolutely, maybe like not hating it, but being like, what is this mess to being like, I'm in it. I'm in the, like, I'm in the mix. Like I'm going to throw down as hard as I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, I think that that's been one of the hardest things in my career. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, and I'm sure you guys have had this where it's like, if the beginning of the race doesn't go well, it's really easy to just be like, well, whatever, like, I'm going to just throw in the towel. Like, this isn't very fun. I'll just like slog to the finish. And I mean, those 10 miles were freaking awful. But I think like, it was also like, my goal wasn't to like, win. And so I wasn't like dwelling on it a lot. It was just like, let's get the best out of yourself. Let's get through this and figure out what to do because it's horrible and we don't want to feel horrible the whole time. (laughs) Can you tell um, the folks listening at home how many gels you consumed over the course of this thing? Yeah, so I think I ended up counting them and my first post was a little bit audacious. I think I said I'd ate like 24. I had 18 gels. So it ended up being like 70-ish grams of carbs per hour. And like that was very front loaded. Cause I think honestly, like when I first when I saw you Corinne at mile 20, you'd eaten like 10 I'd gels. Eaten 12, 10 yeah. or 12. Yeah. And then I went back to like two to three an hour for the last bit because I felt more normal, but I definitely front loaded it with like four to five an hour and then downed it. So uh yeah, 18 gels. Um, and really all pretty much the same flavors, like only rotated flavors a little bit, and then only did caffeine at the very end. So it was pretty, pretty gel heavy and not many other stimulant heavy. That's so impressive. I'm like a little bit nauseous just thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Next time you feel bonky at mile five, you try it and I bet it'll work. I mean, I've definitely, I've experienced that, right? Like I remember like bonking on some run with Steven and I was like, I was like, I feel awful. And he's like, well, maybe you should eat something. I was like, I just ate something. Like just like snapped back at him and he's like, okay. And then I ate something and I was like, oh, actually I feel like hundred percent better. Like it turns out every 20 to 30 minutes sometimes means like every 10 minutes. Um, yeah. And so you can like rectify the situation so that you don't have a melty in front of your significant other in the middle of the woods. Um, with that, I think we should dive into our meat and potatoes. We got to give Becca Wendell formal, a formal intro here. So this, the interview we're about to walk into is with, the amazing Becca Wendell. She most recently secured her golden ticket at the Black Canyons 100 kilometer race, placing second there. Epic battle. 
she was charging. It was so cool to see. She is also a PhD student at Colorado State University in the Fish, Wildlife, and Conservation Biology Department and the co-founder of Home on the Range Wildlife Research Nonprofit that does research training um, and community science outreach in the Metha Valley on the east side of the North Cascades here in Washington State. And we can't wait for you all to meet her and hear all about her running and research endeavors because she just got back from chasing deer around Nebraska. So um, I guess without, without further ado, I will step right out of the way. So my name is Becca Lindell, and I am a wildlife biologist, a coach. Um, I love running. And I split my time between Fort Collins, Colorado, where I am right now, um, working on my PhD, and then uh, the lovely Met Howe Valley in North Central Washington. A place near and dear to my heart, not that far from where I'm sitting right now. Though in the winter, it feels a lot further since the other road we take into the Metha Valley is closed for the winter. So yes, a little bit more of a hike in the winter. Yeah, definitely a little bit more of a hike. Well, part of scheduling this interview with you is that we had like two narrow windows to get on the, like get on the phone with you. And you were like, I can do this Thursday or I can do next Thursday because otherwise I will be catching deer for my PhD which we were all like kind of scratching our heads. And then before this, we were actually sending your like Instagram posts back and forth between each other because we were like, she's legit catching deer. Like you were long lining deer via helicopter for your PhD, which I think ma- should make anyone listening to this want uh, to go do a I'm PhD. Uh oh, where's that Whoa. coming from? Whoa. That was uh, my husband's computer. <laughs> oh, Sorry that's about- a very deep voice. Okay. He back says he just yelled, sorry, from the background. <laughs> um, yeah, back to deer, though. Back to deer. So tell us a little bit about, obviously, we know that you're a fast runner. We got to witness that firsthand at Black Canyon. But tell us a little bit more about longlining deer via helicopter for a PhD. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty wild day for the deer and definitely not one that we take lightly as biologists because, I mean, quite there's nothing else it could be other than feeling like an alien abduction for the day for that critter. Um, but, you know, catching these animals um, so that we could take a bunch of samples. Uh, Specifically, my project's looking at um, this disease called chronic wasting disease, um, which if you're not familiar with it, it's, yeah, again, pretty wild disease. It's called a prion disease, but essentially there's uh, misfolded proteins that are both then infectious and transmissible. So they replicate and basically turn brains into Swiss cheese. in the deer family. And yeah, right now it's a lethal disease uh, 100% of the time. And it's starting to have bigger Im- impacts on uh, deer populations, especially here in North America and mule deer in particular. So yeah, we're catching these animals to take samples. Um, it's really hard to live test for CWD. So a couple of procedures to do that. And then um, putting a GPS collar. So just like one of our watches on the animals with a really long battery life so we can track their movements across the landscape. Yeah, that data's not on Strava, huh? No, not on Strava. <laughs> we actually, I grew up in Northwestern Wisconsin and we dealt with chronic wasting disease in the whitetail population there growing up. So I, it's a, a, a weirdly a disease near and dear to my heart in that sense that it was something that was incredibly impactful on our kind of like local, local ecosystem. I guess before we kind of you know, branch more into running, I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of like how this fits into everything else that you do. I know that you are running a nonprofit or are running a nonprofit kind of based out of the Cascades. 
and then, um, you know, bridging into how you're balancing all those things. Yeah. So prior to, I just started this, uh, DRCWD project, um, working on my PhD at, uh, Colorado state university, uh, this past August. So this is a new endeavor right now. And prior to that, uh, had co-founded, uh, wildlife conservation nonprofit, like you said, Corinne, in the Met How um, with two dear friends and colleagues, uh, Home Range Wildlife Research. And our organization, um, it's, yeah, still really involved. And um, I I mean, I'm very biased, but I love what we're doing because we're not only doing um, high quality research. Uh, so right now our flagship project is a lynx and wildfire project. Uh, we've had mega fires burn on both sides of the valley at different parts of the or different times. And yeah, like many places in the mountain West, uh, fires having a huge impact, but yeah, we're doing research. Um, in addition to that, a real core part of our mission is to make sure that, that all that research we're doing is actively communicated, um, broadly, but then also most specifically with our local community. So, uh, really doing a lot of outreach and then also involving local community members in the science through, uh, community science initiatives, we have another project that's really focused around that. Uh, it's a black bear human coexistence project where we have uh, folks out on the landscape collecting the vast majority of the data uh, to look at those interactions. And then uh, the third pillar of our organization's mission is to provide training opportunities for aspiring biologists. So something that myself and then my co-founders, Carmen and Anna, had seen just throughout our careers working in wildlife was that there were so many incredibly passionate young folks coming out of university programs with tons of knowledge and interest and enthusiasm, but like not a lot of practical skills. And um, those are really hard to acquire, especially when you're coming from an urban area and haven't, yeah, like backed up trucks and uh, done a lot of stuff outside. So we offer uh, training programs to develop really core uh, field biology skills as well. Yeah. Driving a 15 passenger van or backing up a trailer definitely like acts a lot of jobs for me personally. So I, I completely <laughs> relate Well, we to can that. teach you, Corinne. <laughs> Sick. I'm coming over. We'll put all the cones up. I'll be a professional in no time. <laughs> yeah, Becca. So I, I know that we were just talking offline about like all of us can now say the word decade to talk about like our past running experience. Um, so obviously you're in your PhD program now, but this is not like right out of undergrad for you. So like, where did this like PhD idea come from and like what kind of led you to where you are now from when you actually left uh, your undergrad? Yeah. So, I mean, I had a pretty non-traditional uh, academic track. I, uh, right out of high school, got really into bike racing. Um, so I went to a semester of college and then decided to race bikes and didn't end up going back to school until uh, I was 26 for my undergrad. Um, and really feel fortunate at that point because animal behavior and animals is something that I've always been interested in. Um, but I think when I was 18, it would have been like an exercise science degree because all I cared about was sport. Um, so I got to come to, uh, yeah, come to wildlife with, uh, yeah, just knowing that it was a passion and um, from undergrad, went into a master's program and then um, moved out to Washington and worked at uh, as a research scientist at the University of Washington for a little while before starting this nonprofit. And then, yeah, just really, I think, feeling like the one piece that was missing for me was a bit more, um, just wanted a little bit more rigorous training and stats and 
all the technical components of doing really good wildlife work. And then also I, I really realized I love the academic environment too, and that just mentorship and um, yeah, I, I guess what I, I don't know how to say it best, but I just love, I love that environment of learning. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of other places where 18 year olds and 80 year olds are interacting on a daily basis, just talking about cool, interesting stuff and trying to make change in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very unique environment. And to your point, like you can enter it at any time in your life and still be invigorated by all of those like minds around you who have so many different thoughts and different experiences. So I get that. And as a non-trad also, I totally respect what you're doing. Like <laughs> there should be no timeline on when you go get like a PhD or an MD or whatever. It can be whenever. No, I mean, it, it, it definitely like uh, it, I feel that I'm a bit older um, than a lot of my peers right now, but um, I also feel like grateful to be coming into it older too. So I, I would highly encourage it if anybody <laughs> um, is looking for, <laughs> yeah, continuing to learn somewhere, anywhere in life, really. Yeah. Stephen's parents help with some of the citizen science um, projects in the Cascades. His dad, who's in his 70s, is always like, oh, I've got to trek in to go change this game cam for this Wolverine project. And you're like, awesome. Okay, Tom, let us know if you need any help. Like, go get <laughs> it, man. Um, which I just love that kind of overlap between the the citizen science and the the range of students that are in the field. We were reflecting a little bit on the fact that at Black Canyon, on the women's podium, you were sandwiched between two doctors, an MD PhD just ahead of you and a um another MD right behind you. And the just this reflection that the our sport is full of so many incredible people who are juggling many things, wearing all the hats. And we're wondering now, as you're kind of entering this PhD and really getting into the bulk of your research for this project, you know, balancing that with, with your running, with, you know, family time, with hanging out with the dogs, like how, how are you finding um, your ability to balance and juggle those different facets? Yeah. I mean, I love that too. And it, it's something that really inspires me about this sport is it just feels like so many folks are doing a lot of cool stuff. And um, yeah, that just is a real tailwind as, as I do uh, things as well. But yeah, I think more than anything, um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> what was more your than question? anything, Sorry. balance, balancing, balance. You, got, you got PhD right. on the brain right now. Yeah. So uh, I think Balance wise, the the biggest takeaway recently has just been that I don't ever feel like as much pressure about any one thing, which is really um, huge for for me in general. So I don't know if like it's always balanced, but I just don't always feel like I have all my eggs in any one basket, which then makes me hold on a lot less tightly to any one thing. Um, and it has just had really nice positive <laughs> implications for actually having some sort of balance. If yeah. that makes any sense. Oh, totally. And I think that like, as we all get older too, that's an easier thing for us to lean into as opposed to the like 21 year old versions of ourselves that I think even if our eggs were scattered in many baskets, it's still, there's a different perspective there that comes with just like, I don't know, being a student later in life, being an athlete later in life, et cetera. So percent like it's hard not to assign some sort of self-worth to any sort of outcome related to whether it's sport or academics or whatnot and yeah I just I guess that's where like the two together I do do balance each other out then um to not have anything holding too much weight 
Yeah. And I, I've been joking that we will eventually give the people what they want, i.e. they want to hear about the epic battle at Black Canyon. But we'd kind of like to zoom out a bit more as podcasters tend to do um, and reflect on just kind of when you first found running and then kind of wh- where and when trail running came into your life. Yeah. So, I mean, first found running probably when I was eight years old. Uh, my grandpa was an avid 5K runner. Um, he had this like immaculate closet with just folded race t-shirts and, um, yeah, I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, so went out for my first mile run with my grandpa, probably when I was eight. And then, um, I couldn't quite make that whole mile running. And so I trained really hard until the next year when I visited him again. And, um, yeah, he, he really just got me into it. Uh, so running from like a pretty young age in some ways, uh, but then, um, that I took a total turn in high school. I got really into, as I said before, bike racing. So did that then through my early twenties. Um, and when I decided to, uh, retire from, from bike racing, um, I got a wonderful little dog named Josie and she needed exercise. And we were living in Boulder, Colorado at the time. And, uh, Josie's really what got me or who got me into, to trail running. Uh, I was actually down in Boulder, probably like three or four weeks ago, maybe more than that, but just running some of the trails and I could like visualize my young Josie dog, who's now 14, just like launching off different rocks. And yeah, I, so I love that. that's, that's it's, no it's real come, start to trail running Josie. Yeah, it's come full, it's come full circle. And I think I, I definitely, I actually have a question teed up about, about Josie and we'll, we'll talk about her some more, but, um, <laughs> I think I'd like to reflect on that moment. You mentioned you mentioned the cycling thing a couple of times. You've mentioned retiring from it at 24. I myself have retired from one professional sport at 23, 24 as well before being able to find something else that I'm really passionate about. And I think that hindsight and reflection is really powerful for so many of us as we like look back on different chapters of our life. And I'm wondering, you know, this, this intense passion for cycling that I think also gave you probably a lot of an independence as like a high schooler and a teenager, right? It lets you like explore the world around you really quickly. Um, but at some point in time that turned from like this love and passion and excitement to a thing that you needed to step away from that no longer had all the positive associations that you first found in it. And I'm wondering if we can just explore that a little bit from like a, I've got enough distance between me and this earlier chapter of my life. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I love the way you frame that because it, it really exactly was that. I remember, um, the first time I like was riding the bus to school and just seeing bikes passing the school bus and be like, that is way faster. Like I should ride my bike to school when I was 14 or so. And then that just like, like you said, I lived, I grew up in downtown Chicago. So it just became this incredible way of getting to know my city. Um, I was obsessed with bike messengers and like did that for a while. And that's kind of how I got into, to racing then. Um, and yeah, but then it became increasingly more serious. Uh, and I think around 18 or so had a bigger breakthrough where all of a sudden I got a lot of attention, um, with it as well. And, uh, with that attention, like that was just hard to manage in general, um, but then also just pressure on sport and outcomes for the first time. Um, and yeah, to be honest, like had a really, I mean, I don't regret it by any means, but they were like probably the darkest years of my life too. Like once I had success somewhere between yeah, 18 and 22 or just like really rough years. Um, 
I'm been really encouraged to hear that the sport seems like it's changing a bit, but at least like at that time, um, eating disorders were just, I think, pretty rampant. That was a huge culture and one that really affected me, um, as I was riding bikes. And so, uh, yeah, I was just, I think at 24 realized, even though I'd like come a ways that I was never going to be fully healthy if I didn't step away from the sport, um, just cause it was so ingrained in at least like my experience of the culture. I mean, I can remember clearly having one of my best races and, uh, I think I missed like something by five seconds or something. And in the, yeah, one of the first things that somebody said to me was like, oh, if you weighed a little bit less, you could have won today, you know? So just those sorts of things, which then as a pretty impressionable young kid can really set a tone for where your focus should be. And it's not then the love and joy. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and that's such a direct, like, that's like, that, that wasn't like a thinly veiled comment to you. No. That was like a very, like, if a equals B, then B equals like, then B leads to C versus like, I think a lot of parents and coaches and spectators don't realize that it's like things that are even like less intentional, less veiled can be like very, very impactful. Even saying like, Oh, like you look really fast and you're like, cool. Yeah. What I'm doing is working, but to have someone like straight up say that, which I think also just yeah speaks to kind of that, what, what has historically been a very toxic um, nature that goes, that has gone like hand in hand with cycling for a very, very long time. Keely does a lot of research into this space, um, looking at low energy availability. And I don't know if she wanted to add anything here, just kind of reflecting on that time period. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to hear how, how you felt like at 24, you had the courage to step away. And then how long do you feel like it took you to, I don't know, dissociate all those feelings and habits from, you know, when you got into running and now how you are as a runner. So kind of like yeah. a long-term question, but. Definitely. Um, you know, I had put like a lot of kind of in the middle of that bike racing phase had, uh, taken some time to like, I mean, I ended up being in eating disorder treatment during that period. Um, so that was like a initial step that then I think started to give me some perspective of, mm -hmm. um, what, uh, yeah, just like, I guess alternatives to, to life. Cause I think it can be pretty myopic of this is my whole world, um, when you're in those moments. Um, but so it just felt clear to me that I was ready to do something different, uh, at, at that stage. Um, I mean, I did get into running pretty shortly thereafter, um, with Josie and I didn't really have intentions to do it competitively at first, but yeah, Hillary, I, I mean, as we were starting, I was thinking about you and I, um, racing together, um, back then. And I mean, really enjoying that too, but I, I, and I did race for a year or two, but had to step back at that point too. Cause I just realized like, this was a sport that I loved too much to have sort of the same behaviors and patterns, um, come back. And that was just for me, like the competitive associations were just too strong with like performance means I need to do these things. Um, so yeah, I, I really just like had to take a bigger step back from sport for quite a few years. Um, and it wasn't till I was, yeah, the last three or four years that I really felt ready to, um, to come back and yeah, compete from a good place, um, in terms of my own health and, and whatnot. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's really like noble of you to be able to realize all of that also and take that break. Um, do you feel like 
now looking back and also now how you, how you feel and, and train now, do you notice like a big difference in how you feel and how like your energy levels are now that you are like practicing better strategies? hundred percent. I mean, I think it's like such a cool, I, I love the dialogue that's happening right now in our sport, especially around fueling. Um, I mean, just again, like contrasts when I was <laughs> cycling, uh, you know, I had coaches tell me go for a three hour ride and don't eat anything, you know, to work on your fat metabolism and whatnot. Um, but, uh, yeah, now I ate like 400 calories an hour at Black Canyons and mm-hmm. I felt freaking amazing the whole time, um, which like I really just I know it's talked about time and time again, but like it's just so freaking important, like and it changes everything. It makes um, not, not only it like changes your performance, but also your outlook on the entire thing. Like I really feel um, like you can have the most positive experience when you are genuinely fueling your efforts, taking care of yourself, like, mm-hmm. yeah, just coming as the most whole person to these events too, not like broken down kind of mm-hmm. shell of yourself, which just ultimately can lead to a lot of weird thoughts and yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Totally. It's like you, I think you said it really well. Like we're not only fueling to perform, like I think the fueling increases our ability to like be our whole self like we have the ability to like fire on all cylinders and like troubleshoot when things go wrong and like show up for our partner and show up for ourselves and all of these things that I don't think are talked about as much and also are not as tangible but yeah it's cool to hear you say that and I hope that that will you know resonate with some of our listeners as well as they're finding their fueling journeys too yeah it literally makes me want to like bottle up these experiences so that people can like just like see them without having to experience them like as you were talking through your timeline I was like yep that tracks like yep yep did that step as well cool like you know didn't take care of myself for a long time as a runner because if I cared that was like a slippery slope to you know where I had been with biathlon which was like a very negative place so I like didn't take care of myself in my early years of running because that was too closely related to a previous thing and I wasn't strong enough to just be like well I'm not gonna run or race for a little bit it was like I'm just gonna see what happens you know, that whole faffing, faffing about was not, was not ideal. So hopefully there is some reflection there for other people too, who I I hope have never experienced any of these things and can glean from our lessons and not, not follow down the same, yeah. the same rabbit holes. It's not worth it. Just it's eat. Not. It's, it's life is so much better. <laughs> life is so much better. Well, well fueled. You've mentioned Josie a couple of times and I actually think that you, you have two dogs. Is that right? I, I do. Yeah. I should not ignore Riley. Uh, so two, two pups, Josie and Riley. Yeah. Yes. And we're, I think we're unanimously a dog person podcast. Sorry, my cat, my cat friends. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that even like, so Josie clearly sparked a lot of joy in your life and, um, was it the, was it, was a being that I think kind of helped spur this current chapter that you're in. I think so much so that you, your coaching business is actually, was actually named for Josie. So I'd love to hear, (laughs) I love it. I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, just like how, you know, this little furry being that like is like, I don't know, brings you so much joy and allowed you to kind of like reflect on sport and athletics and moving outside and, and what seems to be like a very positive way. Yeah. I mean, like maybe it sounds cheesy, but that little dog changed my life. Like she's just so phenomenal. Um, so she, yep. I got her when she was about a year old, um, from the Boulder Humane Society and she's just this like 
perfect little athlete, kind of stoic, uh, doesn't, yeah, doesn't really take any nonsense, but also just a total sweetheart and a pal. Um, and yeah, it would, I really just like, it was so incredible to be able to get into trail running alongside this dog who just brought so much joy to every single run. I mean, to this day, she's 14 now. Um, she's definitely starting to slow down, which is a bit of a bummer, but she's running, you know, she still loves to run um, even those little bits and the whole time has her little helicopter tail going. Um, and just like that, having that little signal of joy and watching her butt the whole time is, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it makes it so nice to realize like, that we're just out there exploring, moving together, you know, sharing the experience together. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm probably, I'm just going overkill a little bit, but she, I just love her so much. <laughs> we joke, we joke in our house a little lot. It's really, it's really hard. I mean, obviously like there are antidepressants in the world for a reason, but like, it's really, it's so much harder for me to be sad when I've got my little, my little four-legged friend with me who just is like so silly and goofy and like seems yeah. to know when I need to pick me up, um, you know, like the perfectly timed zoomies. You're like, you knew, you knew that I needed to see you just like lose, lose all control of your body because you're so happy. 100%. And that's actually Riley, the other, our other dog's role. She's a, a Malmute hound mix and is just a Whoa. weird go goober and yeah, total goofball. She actually doesn't like running all that much. Um, so it's almost, I, I mean, and I almost appreciate that a lot about her too, that she is just like flipping things around the house and yeah, zoomies, but longer runs is not her jam too. So it's a nice, it's fun to, to see, yeah, both their styles too. You need to have that couch potato love in your life. We joke that exactly. we, we stole Petey from the good life. Now she like only gets fed twice a day and like <laughs> has to go for a run. And it's like, she'd rather just like lay in a sunny patch in the house and like, just like sleep all day. Well, we're like, no, we like, we're going to go outside and run for two hours now. Um, it's nice to have an animal who's like, no, we can actually just like relax a little bit. Yeah. Let me lay my head on your lap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't get up now. When we joke that when, when you've got a dog on you, time no longer exists. It's like, oh, sorry. Like time, time stands still during those moments. Um, I guess we'll slowly give the people what they want and talk a little bit about Black Canyon. But in part, we're talking about Black Canyon um, with this kind of like injury reflection as well. Because while, while you've had like a good like three to four years of like feeling really healthy running, um, we know that you've been dealing with with some injury, the injury roller coaster that we're all too familiar with. Um, yep. You know, you've come up short on a golden ticket before. You actually were pretty close in 2021 at the Canyons Endurance Run 100K. And then actually earlier this year, um, back in September, you led the Grindstone 100K um, early on before removing yourself from the race kind of due to this lingering injury feeling, the thing that you had been struggling with for kind of like the whole year prior to that. And so we're wondering if you can walk us through a little bit of what that past season looked like. Yeah. Um, I mean, Corinne, we probably should have started a support group for pelvis. <laughs> pelvis people? Yeah. Pelvis people. Because gosh, you. yeah. All right. Sorry to hear team, your, team about pelvis. your membership, Keely. But yeah. Um, I mean, I think like, so I've had, I really can't tell you what has been wrong. Um, something nebulous in my pelvis for the last two years, um, which has just taken, fun. um, so fun. So fun. Yeah. Uh, it's so really challenging. Like you said, like feel grateful that I've, I've had, you know, my general health throughout this whole period, but yeah, physically the last two years have been 
um, pretty rough. Uh, I've seen probably, I was trying to count when I was running, but like I think three different orthopedic PTs, a pelvic floor PT, chiropractors, you know, rolfers, um, medical doctors. And uh, it's just been a lot of, yeah, having to maintain belief and put together little pieces of the puzzle, um, getting a little bits of information from different places and really just trying, I mean, trying to figure out what will help to, to make my pelvis happy and stable again. Um, and yeah, gosh, I feel so grateful that I, I seems like I turned a bigger corner. Um, what was it last week or two weeks ago at black canyons? Uh, I mean, I'm elated with how the race went in general, but like, I can't even tell you how happy I am that I just like finished a hundred K and, you know, can run again afterwards. Like that's yeah, no, normal the biggest win pelvic pain you're like oh I'm yeah well sore that's great I'll take that yeah 100 so like honestly that was just the biggest win of, of everything um because yeah I mean I really feel for anybody going through a long chronic injury that just doesn't have clear um a clear diagnosis and um yeah you don't really know what your prognosis is going to be so yeah, it's, oh. it's been a journey, but just feeling really grateful to be, um, back here. That's yeah. The, the I think the roller coaster is all too real for many of us where it's not a clear, a clear cut injury scenario. We've joked a lot in this podcast that we're quote unquote, we're obviously people are listening to this, not watching it. We're done learning. Like we don't want to learn anymore. We're so sick and tired of people being like, you're going to learn so much from this experience. It's going to be great. No, we're done. We don't want setbacks anymore. We'd love for things just to be smooth sailing. But yep. in that vein, we do slowly learn things through this process. And we're wondering, you know, having dealt with so much uncertainty, having, you know, so much joy and a great run in the Arizona desert recently, like what have you been able to kind of take away as, as future learnings from this kind of roller coaster injury? Yeah. I mean, I think like my biggest takeaways were, um, just, you have to keep believing and investing in yourself and doing that really annoying PT work and just iterating. Um, like ultimately it, there's never going to be like a silver bullet for these sorts of injuries. So just, yeah, really, even when it's hard keeping that belief going and trying, continuing to try noodle things. And that can be both on, side of yeah different therapies or opinions or whatever um to also just changing your training and seeing what might work better too i mean i think one of the reasons um this has all worked out too is i i totally changed my training the last uh block and i pretty much just ran and did some strides um and no like workouts or intensity um or very limited amounts of that so yeah just iterating and believing and um, really knowing that if one day it'll all come together, hopefully, and even if it falls apart again, it's worth it, you know, um, to have those moments. Yeah. It's so scary when you're like, you know what, I'm going to stop forcing this thing that I think should work. And like, instead just like taking a step back and, and eliminating the things that were kind of, you know, where you were bumping up against the wall a little bit, i.e. it's like, yeah, maybe, you know, doing true intensity on your feet, wasn't working. And so having to like completely re feel like you're reinventing the wheel, um, is super intimidating, but ultimately, you know, got you through a very healthy block, which is amazing. 
yeah, no, it's, it's good. And yeah, like you said, Corinne, knowing when to step back and also just take like two weeks totally off to be like, I can't handle this anymore either. You know, those are important, just as important times too, as trying. Sometimes you need to not try too. <laughs> yeah. Not trying is hard, but the, they're good. They're good moments to kind of reflect on. I don't know, just like giving yourself grace, um, yep. you know, and we watch that grace play out in just like the most brilliant performance at Black Canyon. Um, the people who knew what you're capable of were like losing their minds and were so darn excited for you. It was really fun being on the live feed and having the texts and the the live chat roll in of people cheering for you from all over the place. But I also know that like your coach has been on the record of saying that in your pre pre race call that your B goal was to get a golden ticket and your A goal was to win the darn thing. And I just love that so much. It's like, no, like, I don't know, the best poker hand ever. And so I'd love to have you walk us through, you know, getting to that start line with that type of confidence. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, what does it hurt is, is sort of my, was my philosophy. Like that's definitely, those were my goals. Um, and so, uh, why not go for it? Um, I think you like, you just have to believe in yourself and what you're capable of, uh, and at least give yourself the chance to, to do it. And I don't know, I think this again, like just being a little bit older too, like totally. Okay. If I didn't hit any of those goals, like my seagull was just to finish and that I would have also been like perfectly, I would have been so excited about that too. Um, as I said earlier, so yeah, but at the same time, like I, I just, this sport I love so, so much. And I love, um, how folks are competing together out there and it just like, I love racing. Um, so yeah, I guess just hard not to have those big dreams, um, and go for it. Uh, and yeah, I guess like going into this race, I definitely believe those things were possible and it's fun coming out of it and having that, like I believe kind of be like all caps believe now. Um, and, but you got to take those little steps to then be able to reinforce things for the future too. I love that. A goal, win, B goal, golden ticket, C goal, finish. It's just like this, like, <laughs> but like they're there for it, you know, which was, which is so cool. I think that hopefully people can take that forward to their, their next event from a spectator's perspective. Um, you know, it was really kind of cool, like watching the women's race, play out like it was this moment at like the halfway mark where we saw you come through all smiles by the way just like so happy to be at the uh deep canyon ranch aid station but you were about i think three minutes down on rachel drake six minutes down on heather jackson who like time trialed the first 50k of the race um and then all of a sudden we got word from rachel's crew because liam was instagramming on course with rachel um that all of a sudden like not only did you bridge to rachel but the two of you bridged to heather and we like lost lost our minds like it was so cool and so i'm wondering if we can have like a peek behind the curtain and like understand was this just like your race plan playing out perfectly or like walk us through that moment of like all of a sudden being with Rachel and then all of a sudden Heather Jackson comes back to you guys like that had to be wild yeah um I mean I guess just like from the starting point the folks at Aravipa did such a good job and it was so cool to be part of this race where like every aid station you came into there were just so many people the energy was like unreal and uh 
yeah, to be honest, like that's just the best fuel in the whole world is having that sort of energy as you're coming through aid stations. Um, the first like part of the race was pretty sloppy and slow and honest, I had no idea where I was. Um, and I think like a lot of us just had initial thoughts of like, oh God, like what, you know, this is so slow. I don't feel good. It's terrible. Um, but just then coming into that first aid station and like feeling super um, energized by everybody that was there. So yeah, I, I mean, I think honestly, that was where I just started to race a little bit. So coming out of the Bumblebee aid station around mile 20 and felt just felt good and was running. So I didn't have a plan necessarily. It was just like, make sure you're running sustainably, but uh, well and fueling and all that jazz. Um, and then was really surprised coming into, like, to be perfectly honest, coming into uh, the next aid station, Death Deep Deep Canyon. I can't remember. Yeah, exactly. Deep Canyon Ranch. It's that like Canyon Ranch. 50K mark or so. Yeah. So coming into that one again, energy was awesome. And I remembered seeing Rachel coming out of that, like she was departing as I um, was coming in and just being like, oh, okay, I'm like further up than I thought. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, just energized again by that and kept steady moving up um, and then joined Rachel just past the Black Canyon aid station. And uh, it was super fun to then just like rally together uh, for, for quite a few miles. I mean, it must've been close to 15 miles or so. Um, and yeah, just like watching her do her thing um, and to Heather together uh, passing, um, I mean, really just like having fun running flowy, cool desert single track together. Uh, it was just pure joy. So yeah, I don't know if that like fully answers your question, but um, <laughs> no, it seems like you just it was like a good you, time. you executed on a, like you had a great day, you fueled yourself, you like were finding joy out there, particularly as you built into the race. Like, you know, you didn't you didn't shut down in the first 10 miles when things were sloppy and awkward. Like you kind of let things, let things build, which is just really impressive. And actually the next question I had teed up for you kind of spoke to that, like those miles you got to share with Rachel. She's been very kind of public about saying that she loves to like race with, like with in all caps, her competitors, like getting to spend miles kind of, you know, maybe not elbow to elbow because you're on a single track. So someone's got to be in front, but like getting to share time together with the people she's racing with seems to really fuel her and like really inspire her. And so uh, it it sounds like you had that same experience where like those 15 miles or so you got to share with her were just like really blissful. 100%. Yeah. And like, I, I feel like I haven't been done a ton of races recently, but it hasn't been like that common to be able to really run alongside somebody and, um, I, I just, it made it so much more fun, um, and enjoyable. And I, I mean, just adding that little element of like tactics and whatnot too, which is not something I was necessarily thinking about, but like, it just gamifies it a little bit more too, you know, so that you can share that experience, um, and play off of each other. And I don't know, that just, I, I feel like adds a whole nother awesome layer to sport. It's not only like performing to your best, but um, then getting the best out of each other and and having a little game of chess in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think we all will say the same thing, but like the sport is trending to that. This is relatively normal now. And like, you can kind of plan on finding yourself with someone else 80% through a race. And you're like, what the heck is going on? Like, 
yeah, it's really cool. The sport right now is growing so much that it's fun to be able to race with the ladies. Mm -hmm. I guess a question on that note, like you, like having that be kind of a relatively new experience, right? Of being like, oh, I'm going to run with this person for a prolonged period of time. Like how did, you know, you came into the race, as you said, the goal was to win this thing. And then the B goal was to get a ticket. And all of a sudden you and Rachel Drake are at the front of the race in one and two, and you're having an amazing time. Like the two of you are just like having a blast, it seems like, but kind of how does that frame up against this, like, you're still racing, right? Like you're still racing for the win. You're still racing for a golden ticket. Like how do you, I guess there's a juxtaposition there, right? Of like having just the best absolute time with like a new pal and like being like, I still want to win this thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess for me, like just that having fun component would ultimately lead to the best, like being able to win, let's say. Um, so I just don't think they're at odds with each other. If anything, I just think it's like that little extra boost that you really, um, can use to, to try to do your best. Um, yeah, I, I definitely stated that goal. And like, I don't know if, um, I did fully like internally believe it too. So I really was just focused on like having the best time and was thrilled with how everything was going. Um, so that was my prevailing feelings. <laughs> Good, good. I, I think that's like, it's, that's a, a very like, I don't know that that's the ideal scenario where it's like having a good time and having fun and, and running to your potential will ultimately lead to those, those big goals that you spoke into existence. A crazy moment of having a live stream is that we actually got to witness the moment where you and Rachel, the elastic kind of broke a little bit. And it was this moment where you guys were crossing the river and Rachel made this grab to what seemed to be a very pokey bush and pulled herself out of the river and like, you know, just like ascended this hill very rapidly. And you missed the branch, it seemed, and actually took a bobble back into the river. Um, and that the, I we watched like Liam, like kind of go around you and bridge back up to Rachel. Liam had been kind of, it seemed like taking a step back so the two of you could run together as opposed to him, him pacing her. Um, we just love to hear a little bit from that, like your actual point of view of that, of that moment of like, did you realize that like the elastic was breaking there? Or did you like, how did that feel to be like, okay, that little moment like has created this gap? Yeah. I mean, I think in the moment, um, I didn't really like realize what a, yeah. I, I So this is where I guess I'm just so impressed with like Rachel and how, amazingly professional she is and doing all her homework with the course too because she had like she a plan for that yeah and um like I think that's where I was I just like I could kind of like see myself watching this like plan unfold too and that was so cool to be honest like this is a great yeah she just she played it so well and it was really cool to watch her um just be the the amazing like racer that she is um because yeah I had I did not know what we were going through and definitely like fumbled going both in and out of that uh that creek crossing um and remember like starting like that she had gotten a bit of a gap and starting to chase her and just be like oh she just started running for the first time like hard you know um which that was 235 marathoner came out all of a sudden yeah exactly which was just so cool like it, I mean it was just I, I feel like really privileged to be able to watch that somebody like that race, um, the way she did. So yeah, I, I mean, I would have had to put like a big effort in, um, and just getting through at that stage was like, I was 
I was happy to keep plugging along um, consistently. So yeah. Yeah. Those are those moments where you're like, well, my legs still work. That's all that matters. And from there, you know, you guys crested that climb. You came through the kind of 10 mile to go aid station. I think you picked up your husband as a pacer yep. and made, made him work, made him work for it the last 10 miles. But I'd you love guys to were hear. Charging. Yeah. Like I was checking over my shoulder. Keely was scared the whole time. <laughs> Rachel kept being like, Keely, is she there? Is she there? And Keely, Keely's like, I'm looking, stop looking. You keep running. I will look for you. Don't fall down. But those moments are really cool too, where it's like, you're, you know, it's like, where, where's your brain there? Are you thinking about the podium? Are you thinking about where third is? Are you thinking about where first is? Are you running scared? Are you soaking it up? Like what, like, what was that last 10 miles? Because it can be, it can be all those things. And you know, none of those things. Yeah. I probably did feel like a lot of those things. Um, I think I, I, uh, yeah, my coach David told me he was at the aid station too, that there was a pretty good gap between us and third. So I felt like not running scared necessarily. Um, but also just like trying to keep pushing forward. Um, and I definitely had hit like a little bit of a wall coming out of that aid station. Um, so yeah, I think just like trying to give my best, you know, um, on the final climb was, uh, all I could really focus on. But then also, like, like you said, I got to share the last 10 miles then with my husband, which he's always been so supportive of what I do. And, um, to, yeah, then be able to have those little bits together too. And, you know, like coming off the last climb, just cresting and like looking out on the big Seguro cactus forests ahead. Uh, yeah, like it's just really cool as the sun was setting and I think soaking it in then a bit. So trying to like, enjoy our time coming down off, off the, the final climb. It was a pretty incredible, like I said, to just open into the, the final Valley, like that led down into the finish line, um, where it really was just this forest of Socorro cactuses. And, um, Simon and I just started kind of flowing down that last descent and then rallied a bit into the finish right as the sun was setting, which was, um, pretty magical to me, to be honest. And, uh, yeah. So I think at that stage, just really soaking things up. I mean, remember crossing the finish line and then seeing all these incredible people. Um, yeah. Folks who like Corinne, like you, who I'd never met before, um, but was so excited, you know, had known through friends and sharing text oh, yeah. messages, which was your, awesome. your friends and, were losing it and texting me. And I was like, I have to go show <laughs> Becca this text from Steph because Steph is losing it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's just so like, I, yeah, it gave me a whole nother um, layer of feeling really grateful for this sport and the community. And that, that like, that those were the finish line feelings that were going around. Yeah. Um, Cause it's truly special about our sport. Like I, I can't emphasize it enough. Like it, our sport is so rad and the people who are in this sport are so rad. And um, that's like what keeps me coming back time and time again. Yeah, is those it, feelings. It truly is. I'm I'm probably outing Steph a little bit by saying this, but she was like, she was like, when, when can I ask Becca if I can come to Western States? She's like, she's like, how how long should I wait before I ask Becca? And I was like, you you'll figure it out. You just buy her some more gels, and I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, yeah, Steph gave me like ten pounds of gels from her race at Havelina, and that's literally like what I've been eating the last four months. So. Big shout out to Steph Bennett, nutrition Steph sponsor. Bennett, <laughs> unofficial nutrition sponsor. Uh -huh. Speaking of Western States, though, you got yourself a golden ticket, which is pretty darn sick. I know Craig, Craig was like in the finishing shoot, like waiting to pounce to give you guys golden tickets, it felt like, which was 
really probably very surreal. Like how excited are you to be heading to that big dance in June? I'm so excited. I mean, the past three years I've watched the live stream and just like not only sat there watching it, wanting to be there, but like, oh, it hurts to like not be there um, type feeling. So yeah, I'm just thrilled. I mean, again, like going back to community, it's just uh, seems like such a cool gathering spot to celebrate um, ultra racing here in North America. And there's so much history behind it that I am just thrilled to participate. So yeah, very excited. I'm going to have so many of my close friends and family there with me too, which is going to be really special um, to share that experience with them as well. And yeah, I'm just jazzed. We're so excited. I'm so, I'm so excited. It'll be really fun to be there Western States week and get to get to, I don't know, the PNW. I know that technically we're loaning you to Colorado right now, but the PNW is very <laughs> proud to have, have you and Rachel grab those golden tickets um, along with Lauren Puretz of Colorado Springs at uh, the Black Canyon 100K. Just like, I can't wait. The hype is already building. Maybe there. It's going to be awesome. Yay. Um, we kind of like to end all of our interviews independent of what we've been talking about with this kind of like final reflection question. And it's, so it's pretty simple. And it's this idea of like, you've lived a lot of different chapters, you've, you've had ups and downs with sport. And so we like to reflect on this notion of like, what do you know, or what is something that you know, right now, to be true, that you wish you could tell your younger self? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think the thing that I know to be true is that you're just enough exactly the way that you are and you don't need to like prove anything to anybody. Um, you don't need to be scared of chasing your dreams and what like people might think of that um, to just like try to believe in and, tr and maybe believe isn't the right word, but just to trust your gut on what you know is uh, what you know are the things that really draw your heart heartstrings and um and go for it you know because it, it just is such a fulfilling life to to shoot your shot and um it's okay if you fail along the way too because those when you do drop the ball or yeah something doesn't work out however how you planned it um you learn a ton from that and then also like you have those high moments on the flip side that are just so worth it Beck is amazing i don't think we need to say anymore Society Slam. I guess before we Society Slam, we should give another shout out to the folks over at the feed, the people presenting. I love that word, presenting this podcast for 2024. Who has had a, had a nutrition win? Obviously, Keely had a nutrition win by consuming nearly two boxes of gels out on the uh, 60 kilometer at Black Canyon. Hilly, have you had any nutrition wins recently? Yeah, you know, even though it's like at this time of year, I'm not really doing as like the longer long runs I'm used to. And yeah, it's like I'm enjoying having some snacks on some 90 minute runs. Like it's great. Yeah, I, I think, think that's it's a, a win. Because I think yeah. it is a win, right? Practicing it just like I've had to practice it at, on my shorter runs because it turns out if I don't practice it there, I like barely, barely handle my long runs. So turns out under fueling any of your training 
does not bode well for you from a recovery perspective. Actually, uh, we just had an article come out over on freetrail.com that Ruby Wiles wrote for us about carbohydrates being being queen or king, the reigning, our reigning fuel um, to both fuel you to performances, but also to help you um, get a jumpstart on recovery. So if you want to go check that out over at freetrail.com, highly recommend it. Um, it seems like our first society slam is a shout out actually from Terrawera. Um, and I'll, I can take this one. Um, Hey team. And I will say preface this. I love Terrawera. I actually, um, was initially going to go run there and help lead some women's specific panel stuff ahead of the race, but opted out, um, just due to some other kind of personal life stuff. But listener wrote in and said, Hey team, I was at Terrawera this weekend supporting my partner. They ran a great women in trail half hour talk where Caitlin Fielder did an amazing job uh, bringing up how important it is for female athletes to keep their periods. This was um, out on the village green in front of all the athletes and supporters while people were checking in the day before, not just a private session. And you could feel the discomfort from some of the audience, but I was so proud of her for raising the topic. So just wanted to give her a shout out. She also won the 50K, another amazing Kiwi athlete um, tearing it up, but really cool to hear that they uh, got that panel off the ground and uh, it was well received by most in the audience, maybe not everyone, but big, big kudos to Caitlin Fielder. Hilly or Keely, you want to take that next kind of one burging off of the fact or fiction podcast we released last week? Yeah, Keely, that's you. Yeah. So I actually got a couple of these emails in my personal as well. And then this one came to the Trail Society feed. So I think this will help a lot of you. Um, we got a lot of love around the fact or fiction on the latest podcast around the menstrual cycle um, and not getting a period. Um, this question is for those of us on birth control who don't get a period, I have an IUD. What are some other markers besides getting a period we can look for as signals that we are doing okay from an energy availability slash fueling enough slash not overtraining perspective? Um, first of all, great question. Second of all, I don't think there's going to be like a really sexy 100% accurate answer, unfortunately yet. Um, but I think the research is there and it's coming. And so I think we're going to have better metrics to measure this in the future. However, I think there are a lot of things you can start to take note of on your own and maybe like write in a journal or write alongside your training log so that you can track your own trends over time and see how these things change. And so some of the things you can look for that sometimes are indicative of, potentially being in low energy availability or being in overtraining or not feeling enough could be things around the following. So you can check for decreases in libido, which is AKA sex drive. You can look for abnormal changes in your sleep patterns, increased irritability, decreases in your running or sport performance. So that would be like, you know, running at a similar pace that's normally really easy for you, all of a sudden feeling super hard and that being a trend for a really long time. Um, you could have increased thoughts of depression or anxiety. You could be, this is one I kind of just added in there as like anecdotal from a lot of athletes. And I think it's something that's kind of tangible is like waking up really, really hungry all the time. That's probably not a great sign. Um, changes in gastrointestinal function, and then compulsive feelings around exercise. This one's kind of new, um, but it's been shown to be highly correlated to low energy availability and could be something that you could question yourself. So, you know, you could ask yourself, why am I running today? And if the answer is like, oh, I'm training for this race or all of these things, or I want to get outside or all these things, but maybe another answer would be like, cause I really feel like I need to, if that's like always the reason you run that could be a red flag for being very compulsive around your exercise. And so those are all things you can kind of look for. Again, I'll put this all in the show notes, but you could kind of just like add these notes to your little log. And if you start seeing trends where all of a sudden 
you're having decreased libido for multiple weeks at a time, or you're having, you know, all of a sudden changes in your GI function paired with changes in sleep, and you're watching these patterns. These are all just data you can find on your own, and then use this to question, you know, what is my training load look right, like right now? Am I getting enough calories in? Um, and look at more holistically at your training, and hopefully be able to determine if maybe you're not meeting your energy demands before anything detrimental really happens. Any insights on that there, Corinne or Phil? I do think it's super important and I'm glad that we continue to yell and sometimes rant about it on our podcast TED Talks. Yeah. <laughs> and I think honestly it's and it I think really a lot a really good one is the compulsion compulsion and the feelings around exercise. I think that's also a really good piece. It's like sometimes if I'm feeling you know, if I'm like, am I in a rut or am I like, am I overdoing it? Right. So, and it's like, and, and I think Corinne, you've talked about this on the pod before too, but like, if you take an arrest day, does that make you feel anxious or like revitalized? Right. So we want to aim for like the revitalization and not like, oh my gosh, I can't take a break from this. Cause then I think there's something else going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think we miss, we, we like avoid, we all ignore the red flags of like exercise addiction, exercise compulsion. And I think that that will become a more and more critical topic um, yeah. alongside, you know, reds and um, low energy availability, et cetera. So. Yeah. And, and then one other thing that I'd be remiss to not say is that, you know, clinically there is a questionnaire called the leaf cue and they're developing one called the lean cue for males. That's a really good tool used for diagnosing risk for low energy availability. And while you might not want to give yourself a clinically validated questionnaire, you could, <laughs> you could, if you, um, if you, if you need the data, if you need, yeah. if, if that's what it's going to take, maybe yeah. that is what you need. And it accounts for birth control. So it, it does account for you being on birth control. So it could give you a, a good glimpse into, into how you're doing, or you could, you know, uh, over a breakfast, give it to one of your friends who maybe you're thinking is in that state. I mean, I think objective, objective measures are actually pretty important for with yeah. regard to this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It helps you actually see it. Okay. I think we got one more big shout out that Hilly's going to tackle. My fave. Uh, I should have put the name on this here, but um, like I literally laughed when I read this in the comments. Um, so someone says, just saying, if Trail Society and or Rachel Drake came out with a big dogs gotta eat merch, I would so buy it. Uh, that makes two of us and I think three of us, four of us. So <laughs> I think we need crew neck sweatshirts and five panel hats, <laughs> like nice crew necks. Yeah. And really cool five panel hats. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll uh, consult Rachel Drake for licensing. I think Keely is part of this licensing deal, yeah, and uh, so. we'll see we'll see what we can make happen. I think that's amazing. <laughs> okay, um, we'll go ruminate some more merch ideas. Maybe we'll make some stickers or something really fun. Um, and until next time, we'll see you guys out on the trails. Bye.